Welcome to Lift Your Legacy. My name is Jacob Rupp, father, husband, and rabbi. And each week, we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you unlock your inner potential and create change that will impact the future. Thank you for listening, and let's get to it. Okay, well, thank you very much. I've taken a little bit of a hiatus on the uh, on the podcasting because, uh, you know, just thinking about things and how I wanted it to progress. Um, I appreciate tremendously all of the ongoing support. And uh, we're switching the format a little bit. There will still be some interviews, um, but I'm also transitioning to providing some of my own content. So what you should hear for the next couple of podcast episodes would be more personal stuff, uh, a little bit more teaching, and hopefully different ways I can deliver value to you. As always, I really value your input And if possible, I would appreciate if you would reach out on any of the social channels uh, or just email me, rabbirupp at gmail.com or jrupp at h.edu and provide some suggestions for me of how I could better serve. And one of the things that I'm hoping you will see at this point is that we are extremely focused on living a better life. And one of the most important components of that is getting the direction and the one-on-one work that you need in order to live better. So I am a strong proponent of coaching. I do a lot of coaching myself, and I would encourage you, if you're listening to this, to please do what many other people have done. Reach out. Let's have a conversation. There's no obligation to you whatsoever uh, to see if we might be a good fit to work together. And if that might not be the case, I would be thrilled to introduce you to any of the multitude of options and networks and people that I know who could provide that help. So again, please reach out via social channels, whatever it might be. I don't think I'm too hard to find. Certainly not, I hope. And, uh, and, and let me know how I could be of benefit to you. Thank you so much. Thrilled. Uh, thank you so much for having us. Thank you so much, whoever was, was sharing your screen. Um, the world of technology is ever-evolving and always fantastic. So there you go right there. Oh, God bless you. Uh, this, this is very exciting for me because... Uh, There are a few holidays that I love more than Passover, and very often we find ourselves in this like awesome family event where everyone from the family comes, and it's great, and this year everyone is not doing that, and everyone is socially distancing themselves, Uh, but you don't have to socially distance yourself from leading a great Seder, just uh, from people necessarily watching. So sort of the the overall principle of what I wanted to discuss today was, first of all, uh, what are we trying to do Seder night? Because very often what happens is that you show up the night of the Seder, people are so exhausted that, you know, they, 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 they don't have anything prepared per se. Uh, it's a tremendous opportunity. It's really the tremendous opportunity to, Im- to imbue yourself, your, your surroundings, your children, if, you, if you're lucky to have them, um, you know, with this fundamental Jewish story. And when you are able to really tell you, it's a huge opportunity frankly. And what very often happens for so many of us is that A, we're busy. B, we, we're dealing with all the kids. C, you know, like now we're, we're having this, like, this crazy world and you're like trying to work from home and all kinds of crazy stuff. And the opportunity goes by. And also for those who are not familiar with the story, so, and, and the Haggadah, it's hard to pace yourself because in a lot of ways it's a, it's a, it's a marathon and we get really drawn into uh, the, the sprint, the cool stuff, the, the, the stuff that we remember. And so when you're trying to lead an exciting Seder, the first thing you really want to do is to prepare. 
So you ask yourself, great, how am I supposed to prepare? Well, the first thing is I would recommend, A, watch this class, uh, B, read the Haggadah. There are a million different Haggadahs. You can get them anywhere. You can get them online. You can get them on h.com. The Haggadah is an ancient document that was specifically built to give us that booster shot called Amunah, right, called faith, that we need to get on Pesach night. And it's a prescription. And you don't want to mess with the prescription. Now, the challenges for us modern people is that unless you're used to learning ancient Jewish texts, some of this stuff is strange. Some of the stuff seems to be relatively irrelevant. And so it takes time to develop a familiarity with the actual Seder so that you can get something out of it and so that the other people can get something out of it. So step number one, practical step number one is if you sign off now and you never look back at it ever again, read the Haggadah prior to Pesach night. And let's say you're not leading a Seder. You're on Zoom or you are sitting at someone else's Seder, or someone else is leading your Seder. Well, it's not a spectator sport, guys. In a certain way, it might be. But on the other hand, you also want to know. Because the, the Seder, is, is it, it's just so awesome, if you think about it. Because one of the major transitions, again, you think about, you know, everyone's like quarantined, and, uh, and we're all watching Zoom videos around the world. And H has been live for like, you know, 4,000 years already on Zoom, and there's so much content, and everyone's putting stuff out, right? Communication has changed. And even before Corona, even before Zoom, believe it or not, communication is changing in terms of how we get information. So one of the things that's shifting is you don't really see the, the, the sage on the stage, which is someone just kind of off giving information, people benefit from being engaged in the discussion. So if you could get someone talking or you can engage discussion, that's going to be a million times more important than you just going on a monotone. And so I would, again, this is, uh, this is live, but you know, I mean, how many people are watching their pajamas right now? I'm not sure. Um, but one, so I'm going to just be candid. That's the point. I'm going to be candid. I'm just going to be honest with you. So there's a lot of things in, in, in the way that we practice our Siddharam that might not be so effective. And I will lay them out here. Point number one is the guy who's leading the service, the woman that's leading the service, anyone who's leading the service, they don't, they, don't, they haven't read the book yet. You haven't read it. Yeah. You have no, it was last year you saw it and you haven't, you haven't thought about it since then. That's problem number one. Problem number two is that you go around and have different people read parts of it because a lot of times those people haven't read it either. So you're trying to make things interesting by, by just like dispersing it. And, and that also doesn't necessarily work because then you're thinking about it's interesting that, you know, cousin Bob is reading, but we're not necessarily uh, focusing on what is the story trying to tell us. And as I started with, the Haggadah is a prescription to inoculate us, to give us our booster shot of Imuna for the whole year. And so it has to work specifically. It has to actually be, it has to be like, you have to follow it, you have to know what it is. So that's the important piece. That's suggestion number two. Suggestion number one is that you don't want to go in without knowing anything. Suggestion number two is that you try to find out how do you make the story come alive without you actually going out and just having all kinds of different people read it. Participation is great, but let's, Let's try to actually learn what's going on. Number three is, and I think this is the most fundamental and something that is, I could spend the entire time talking about, but I'm, I'm not going to do that, um, that we are trying to think what is, I guess Stephen Covey says, as they say in Kabbalah Shabbat, right? We have to start with the end in mind. 
What is the goal of the Seder? So we know that the goal of the Seder is that in every generation, a person's supposed to feel as if they came out of Egypt. Now again, what does that mean? We're not flying to Egypt. We're not beating each other. We're not turning random you know, rivers in our backyard red. And if you are, that's not a good thing to do, right? Uh, but, 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 but there's a concept that we're trying to reach a point of identifying with the coming out of Egypt that is going to have an impact practically in our life. That's the end goal of what we want. It's not when we're going to get to the soup. It's not how drunk we're going to get on the wine. It's not how long we go without screaming at our family. It's not how long until we pour the wine, the grape juice on the table, right? Those are all things that will happen with God's help. But that's not the point. So the point is that every person there is supposed to feel as if they came out of Egypt. And how do we do that? It's called the Seder. It's called the Seder. So the Seder is supposed to get us there. So now, what I thought we would do for the time that we have is to first and foremost, we're going to go through, well, we're going to start with setting the setting. That's, I guess that's the most important thing, right? So there's an idea. Again, this is not a halacha shear, a legal shear class where we're going to go through how do you clean for Passover? Maybe maybe someone else will do that. Maybe I'll do it, but we're not going to do it right now, right? So th- that that your house is already set for Passover. The second thing is you have to set the mood for Passover, right? And now this is everything. Because if you don't set the stage very often, again, I'm talking about Passover, but like this is kind of relevant for life. You have to set yourself up for success. So one thing is that you want to come rested. You want other people to come rested. If you think it's a good idea to start screaming at your family, right? Before Pesach, because it's not ready yet. And then everyone's going to come and sit around angry, right? Or frustrated or upset. That's not the right thing to do. So you got to think to yourself, we want to sit down at the Seder, rested, relaxed, refreshed. And you think to yourself, are you insane? And the answer is probably. But on top of it, it's like, maybe that means we have to plan a little bit more in advance. Maybe that means you do try to take a nap. Maybe it means that your wife should take a nap and you do something else, right? So there's all kinds of opportunities. How do you set yourself up for success? Then you sit down at the table. You want the table to be made beautifully. There's actually a Jewish concept that this night, you put all your nice stuff out. Again, make sure it's coached for Passover, not the point of the class right now, but make sure that the table is gorgeous. You have your best stuff out. If you're going to use your paper plates, use the best paper plates, right? Make everything beautiful. You make yourself beautiful because you want to be setting the stage the backdrop of a, of a of a regal experience. So that's absolutely crucial. So you have to act regal. You want your table to look regal. You want everyone sitting around the table to look regal. And that's how you get started. And so for most of us, just getting there itself takes preparation. And you have to do it because it's not going to happen for you. So you have to set this up that you're sitting down as a king or queen at the table. And you have the, the royal family around you. And you sit there and you begin the process. Again, you also don't want to get lost. Because if you get lost, you can wind up talking about the very, very beginning and you lose the whole thing. So again, we typed out that you have to start with an idea that you want to be aware of what's coming. You secondly want to set yourself up for success, which means that you want to be calm and you want the table to be beautiful. Okay, now you're going to take out the Haggadah, 
And again, this is a big Haggadah. You're not going to want to use this because people are going to fall asleep, right? You don't want people to fall asleep. You want people to be engaged, right? So it starts off with, and what I'm going to do, I'm just going to throw this out. Ideas. We're going to go fast, right? But we're going to go in depth a little bit. So the first point would be that the Haggadah, the Seder, right? And Seder, right? I, I, you're right there, right? It starts off with the 15 steps of the Seder. Again, famous question. What does Seder mean? Seder means order. What are we doing tonight? Everything's out of order. Everything's weird. But then we have this other order. So the idea is that the Jews live by their own order. We have our own thing going on. So when Mitzrayim is falling apart in 10 plagues, we call that order. We call that God is running the world. We're not running the world. And that's where we want to be. Make that connection to coronavirus as you want and see why we should, theoretically speaking, if we're deeply in touch with our Judaism, be having the best time ever, with the exception of the fact that we are praying for the speedy recovery of the people who are sick and for the speedy financial recovery of the people who are in financial peril. Okay, now, so we have this Seder. We go through the steps of the Seder. Again, we're preparing. We're putting out what we're going to do. We're making it clear. We're setting ourselves up for success. 15 steps of the Seder. Oftentimes, we will sing it if you want. If your Hebrew is not terrible, if your Hebrew is terrible, read it in English or stumble through it, whatever you'd like to do. But the next step would be, why do we go through these 15 steps? So interestingly enough, there's an idea of there are King David, right, has something called Tehillim, which is Psalms in English. And in Psalms, Psalms, not songs, there are set 15 ones, there are 15 Psalms, Tehillim, that start Shiramalos, a, a song of ascents going up, 15, corresponding to the steps of the Seder, corresponding to the number of stairs in part of the temple. And the idea is that we are literally, by following this, moving ourselves from the physical world into a place of spirituality. But you're like, I'm just full and I've poured wine all over myself and I'm really tired. The answer is like, that's right. But on a spiritual level, we are trying to have a spiritual elevated experience. And again, you think to yourself, you're crazy. Then I like go to Core Power Yoga when they open back up, right? And realize that when they start their class, they're going to tell you, start with your intention. Get your intention right. Balagata. It's That's the idea. It's the same idea. We want to set our intentions that at the end of this experience, we are going to feel as if we came out of Egypt, not just because the Seder's over and now no one has to do it anymore. Right? So then you have, so there's seven, there's five, there's 15 steps. Kadesh, right? The Kiddush, Urchatz, right? We're going to go through all of these things. It happens fairly quickly. Okay, so the first is the Kiddush. So that's that's the first. And you try to do that at night, right? You try to do it when it's already night. You'll probably get a, 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 a time for that. You know, it's different for everybody. And then we are going to have the, uh, so it's a, we have Kadesh, Urchatz, right? So Urchatz is the next part which is where we are going to, hang on, I'm just getting over here. I should have used a different one. Standing. So Urchatz is we, we wash, we wash, we wash our hands. Now, again, you might wash your hands over bread, but we're not going to be having bread right now. And it's interesting because it says, this is interesting, Urchatz, right? So it connects it to Kiddush. So there's a connection. The vav is the connection. So what is what is the possible connection? Good. You bounce that. I get a practical pro tip, right? I have a bag of candy that I put on, on, on the table or three bags of candy because I've got kids. And so I'm always trying to prompt them to ask questions, 
right? So that was a question right there. What, what, why are we doing the? Why are we doing it if we're not going to have bread right away? Bread's a, a while, bread, matzah right away, right? Why are we washing right now? Boom! Kid asks the question. Kid gets the candy. So the more that you could, the more that you could engage the kids, the better off. Let's say you're a grown up or you're sitting by yourself and you you know you're just you're just doing your own thing, right? So then you can ask kind of a more ninja question, a level five, six, seven question, which is what's the connection, right, between kiddish and 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 washing. Now kiddish usually symbolizes usually is symbolizes holiness, separation, raising up, and then washing. So now this is this is the best. This is the best. We get very excited about this. So so step number one is very often if you want to become holy, right? And this this goes back on a very deep level that a person has to try in most cases to stop doing the bad thing first and then start to do the good thing. There's an idea, tsur mei ra, turn from evil, and you should do good, right? So if you want to fix up your life, the most effective thing first and foremost to do is to stop doing the bad thing, and now let's start doing the good thing. Make sense? Now, interestingly enough, it's the opposite on Pesach night. First you do kiddush, and then you wash. Now, what does it mean? So again, like we said, the, the night of Passover, the order is reversed. The entire world turns upside down. God comes into our lives, comes into our picture, and now we're free. And it's not like we're free, you know, like the free with the economy, whatever it might be. No, spiritually, we are unleashed. And, and that's a very different thing from what you usually see on your way to the supermarket, right? Or not that you're going outside nowadays, but theoretically speaking. So the entire world turns upside down. So Pesach night, you have this idea where Kiddush comes first, elevation comes first, and then you clean yourself off. Because this goes to the root, fundamental, fascinating understanding of the opportunity of the Passover, which is this idea that on Pesach night, God took us out of Egypt, and he allowed us to do whatever we wanted. We could accomplish whatever we want. There's a tremendous amount of spiritual power. Without the ramp up, you're just like one of those, uh, the, the jets that just take straight off the uh, the runway, you know, the vertical acceleration jets, right? They just psh, right straight off, right? There's no runway, Pesach night, really. Right now, God just kind of like frees us. So there's this idea that first you start with the, the washing, right? Um, and then you dip the vegetables. Very good. And what are the idea of dipping the vegetables? So there's all kinds of different ideas there. Again, give the candy to the kid who asked the question. What's the idea of the vegetables? Why are we eating something? There's all kinds of ideas. Mostly, again, the Gomorrah brings, brings down this concept that we're doing it so that people should ask. Very good. And then you can just go on from there. There's a lot more. I, I wrote like 10,000 pages of, uh, of, 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 of Haggadah commentary. Yeah, and, and like I don't read any of them because, uh, because that's not the point. The point is really we're trying to engage people, right? Then we do yachat. We break the middle matzah. Now, the best. I always ask this question, right? So when we break the, the middle matzah, why do we break the middle matzah, right? That's, that's one question. And, and another question we could ask would be, which one do we hide? Because we know we hide the one of them, and that becomes the afikoma. So which one do we hide? Again, this is, this is live, but we're not really using the Zoom as well. But we, we hide the, uh, the larger one. So that's an interesting question. Why do we do that? I love this one. So fascinatingly enough, there are two major redemptions that the Jewish people go through. One is, we read about, 
Tietz Mitzrayim. We go through the splitting of the sea. The next piece, the final redemption, again, everyone's like super fired up, coronavirus, whenever the world goes upside down, everyone's like, let's start talking about Messiah, great, you know, I'm like, okay, we'll talk about it, but what, is the, what does that look like? So first of all, Maimonides says, we don't really know till it's happened, you, yeah, all kinds of stuff, but there's all kinds of really cool prophecies about what it's going to look like, and one of the things is that mountains, the mountain will split, right? The, when you're looking at the coattail in your face, the mountain behind that is supposed to split, right? You read about that in the Haftorah. It's awesome, great, very good, and, and it's very exciting. So the idea would be there are two redemptions in Jewish history. One was going out of Egypt, and the next one will be the one that comes in the future when the Messiah comes, which again, written down in the prophets, everybody knows about it, and we're always talking about it. Right, it's 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 the themes we read about it on the Haftorah, right? In the in the Haftorah, which is the, the the thing that we read after the the um the Torah reading on on Shabbat. So it's very interesting. So the idea would be, why do we hide the bigger matzah? Because for us, the bigger redemption has been hidden. Again, awesome, very exciting. Smile, look at the kids, move on. Great, we're moving. And then next comes Magid. So now this is the main event. It, it is, it is, but that's also from UFC, which unfortunately has been canceled for now. Um, but but it, so in, in, in Magid, it speaks about this concept. There's a Torah commandment to tell over the story. So you have to realize, again, that you telling over the story, and, and, and we, we, we touched on this the last time we, we, we learned together last yesterday, right? Thank God we're learning together a lot, that so often in our life, what we really need for structure in our life is to know what we're doing is important. And in order for us to know what we're doing is important, first of all, we have to know what to do. Second of all, we have to know that it's the right thing to do. And third of all, we're supposed to know that what we're doing right now is the right thing to do. Right? Again, because you spoke about it, like everyone knows, like, I, I know I'm supposed to get a job or I'm supposed to learn or I'm supposed to get married or whatever it might be. Right? But you might not know when the best time to do it, when the optimal time is. So as a Jew especially Pesach night, all of that anxiety goes away because what you're doing right now is exactly what you're supposed to do. You're supposed, God tells us, pass overnight, tell over the story of Pesach. So you can sit two seconds and appreciate there is nothing more important than what you're doing right now. God says so. So that's fantastic. Okay. So then we start with the, oh, this is the best. I, I get so excited about this. You hold up you, you, you uncover the matzah, and again, you're thinking to yourself, I'm coming up with all this, it's just in the book, all the, all of the, uh, all of the, uh, all of the, the advice is all, is all right there, right? You lift the plate in his hand, and you say loudly, and this is in Aramaic, interestingly enough, but we translate it, that this is the bread of affliction that our fathers ate in the land of Egypt. All who are hungry, come and eat. All who are in need, let them come have the Pesach. Now we're here, next year in the land of Israel. Now we're slaves. Next year, we are free men. Now, again, there's a lot, again, we would, we would change that to an inclusive language, I'm assuming, I hope, right? But, but it's a very interesting thing because we, again, this is like the biggest question. You, you give extra candy for people that pick this up. Point number one, the kids are going to ask you, right? You say, when, when, what, is, what is matzah? So oftentimes people say, right, matzah is the bread of freedom, right? Because, because when did we eat the matzah? So the answer is, we ate the matzah when we were coming out of Egypt. So it's free bread. It's the bread of freedom. It's fantastic, right? You're not going to sit there, Egypt anymore. You got to go quick. The bread's not going to have time to rise. You got to get out of Egypt. So you have the matzah and it's the bread of freedom. But interestingly enough, you just read this. I didn't make it up. It's right here. You look at it yourself. It says, this is the bread of affliction that our fathers ate in the land of Egypt. 
You're like, oh, that's interesting. So what is the matzah? You hear the question. It's a great question. Is the matzah the free bread, the bread that we ate when we were free, or is it the bread of, of, of affliction? So if, if you're thinking to yourself, it's the free bread, great. I keep thinking free bird, but it's something else, right? It's the, it's, it's, it's the free bread, great. But if you read the Haggadah, Haggadah says it's the, the, bread, of, it's, it's, it's the bread of affliction. That our fathers ate when we were in Egypt, right? While we were slaves. So that, that's the first question. You have to ask that question. Again, you have little kids. I wouldn't go into it so much, but let's go into it now because I don't know who's watching uh, the H live streaming videos. Probably people are watching uh, Zoom for their classroom with their little kids. But for us, what is it? You know, let's, let's think about that very deeply. So there's a fascinating concept in Judaism, right? That, that bread, that freedom, that anything is really part of, right? And the very thing, oftentimes, again, it's, this, is, this is deep. This is a deep, deep idea that oftentimes the thing that is our greatest problem is also our greatest opportunity, right? And the things where we have the greatest challenges, that's where our greatest blessings are, are, are linked. You know what I'm saying? So like the land of Israel, no nation on earth has ever tried to get to their homeland and has as much problems with their homeland as, as, as the Jews have going to Israel. But no other land on earth gives us the same level of joy that we ever had. In fact, the Talmud goes so far to say that there are certain things that you don't get unless it's tough, right? And so one of those is the land of Israel, right? Come back next week for the other two. Fantastic little, little cliffhanger over there. Um, but, the, but the idea is that oftentimes the things that are our greatest um, potential challenges are also our greatest potential blessings. That's the same idea over here. The matzah, the idea, the concept of the matzah, depending on when we're eating it, is either the greatest symbol of our affliction or our greatest opportunity for freedom. That's how a Jew lives. A Jew doesn't live normal. We live that either it's the worst case scenario or it's the best case scenario, which is why most of us are so all over the place, right? Because how is that balanced to normal? But, but we live a life of more or less extremes, um, a life where either we're free or we are enslaved. And that's the very important beginning of the whole thing, right? Then you say, all who are hungry, come and eat. All who are need, let come and have the Pesach. Now, again, interesting. Halakhic question. Uh, this is a black belt one. This is like three pieces of candy, uh, unless it's, you know, your, your uncle and they're trying to watch their weight or whatever it might be, which again, maybe we won't think about on Pesach night. But it's an interesting question. In order for you to eat the Pesach, the, the Pesach, which we're talking about the lamb, right? The Paschal, the Paschal offering, you had to designate who could eat it before you killed it. But seemingly now it's saying, anyone that wants to come, come and eat. And then again, it's weird. It's awkward because when we are offering, when we are saying anyone who wants to come and eat, whoever's hungry, come in and join us, right? We're not, we're not putting that on our Instagram, right? And, and, and the house party number, certainly, God forbid, not, not nowadays in the, in the era of coronavirus, you're going to wind up having a, a plague breakout, God forbid. But, uh, but, but we always say this in closed doors. And uh, it's like, wh what in the world does that mean? Like, that's such an awkward, like, open, it's like such a weird invitation. In fact, halakhically, a lot of times there's an idea that you're not, halakhically means according to Jewish law, you're not allowed to offer something to someone if they're not going to come. So it's like, what are you, what are you doing? You're, you're, you're saying whoever wants to come and join Passover, the Seder, like they can come. And you're saying it when you're already sitting down and no one knows about it and like it's too late to come anyway. It's like, what the heck does that mean, right? So the idea, the, 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 the concept that we, are, that we are trying to slowly um, bring into our awareness, our consciousness is that Pesach is a unified experience for all of Klai Yisrael, for all the Jewish people. Which means that in order for us to go through the Passover experience, we have to unify ourselves as a nation. So the idea is, before we even go on to telling the story, we're setting the scene, and the first scene to think about is, 
We're coming together as a people. And everyone has to come together. And then you say to yourself, now we're here. Like, duh, obviously we're here. Where else are we supposed to be? Right? Not here? Now we're not here? Like that, that's a whole question. But now we're here next to the land of Israel. So again, it's a concept, right? And again, I, I don't know, I've been doing this now. I'm, I'm, I'm 36 years old. I still don't live in Israel, right? And, and I can't even travel there now because of the coronavirus, right? But, but how do I know next year I'll be in Israel? What, what does that mean? Now we are slaves. Next year, we're going to be free people. So again, it's a fascinating concept because you think to yourself, I'm not a slave. I'm not a slave. And then you think to yourself, well, maybe I am a slave, right? How do I know? What does it mean to be a slave? What does it mean to be here? So there's this, this beautiful concept that we are building into our spiritual DNA, into our, our ideology, that now we're at the present place and we're not free. And this Messiah hasn't come yet. But we want to have faith in the future that we eventually could get there. And why is that important right now? Because the whole concept of going out of Egypt is that... The, the physical and spiritual barriers in front of a person, God can overturn that in a second. So the fast, again, this is like this is like deep black belt stuff, which if your kids are drooling on themselves already because they're so bored, I wouldn't bring up. But if you have adults around, you could ask this kind of a question, which is the following. This is fantastic. You got your work from home. You got your cute little kid who's going to be, be with you. Um, so the, the, the idea would be the following, that we say, now we're here uh, next year in the land of Israel. Now we are slaves. Uh, next year, we are free men. So the idea is, and if you think about it, the Greeks, right? The Egyptians, the Romans, all of these ancient people lived that the world was. And we, the Jews, because of our collective experience, and one of the themes that I've kept going over and over and over again when I've been doing these live classes is, what's the unique selling proposition of Judaism? What's unique about Judaism that we taught the world? So one thing that we taught the world is that our physical right now does not have to dictate where our physical tomorrow is going to be. Because no matter how bad it was, and Egypt was rough, man, but God came down and he took us out which means that it is always possible that tomorrow could be better. And I'm not going to go into that, but you can go into that for very, a very deep idea, that as long as you have hope, as long as you have, again, with, with the coronavirus, like it's such an easy like connection. I'm, just, I'm going there. I'm taking my own bait, right? You think to yourself, how are we going to get fixed? It's such a dark situation. Literally, I listen to someone. It's like, how do I bring kids in the world? It's going to be so bad. That's such not a Jewish way of looking at anything, because we know that no matter what our circumstance is right now, it can always be better. Beautiful. Oh, I'm so excited. You pour the second cup of wine, remove the Seder plate from the table as if the meal's finished. Why do we do that? Do you want me to do that? That's right. You're supposed to ask, the kids are supposed to ask. So say, well, why'd you do that, dad? And you say, great, here's a piece of candy for you, right? And now the youngest child at the table asks the four questions. It's great. What in the world does that mean? Why would we have the youngest kid ask the four questions. And are they really four questions? Because it seems to be there's not four questions. There's really four answers, right? And the four, and so they ask, why is this night different from, okay, we're just going to draw us back into reality here. Bump the kid off the lap. Love you. Can you like help me over? You know, there's a very famous uh, mentor of mine whose name is Rabbi Simon Jacobson. And one of the things that I asked him about was, you know, 
how does, what does it mean? What does Jewish greatness mean? I get it's like such a trite, seemingly trite question. Like what, what, are, what's, how do we define greatness? So I explained to him, I asked him, what's the premise of the question? That in the world that we live in, the world that we know of, so often we think to ourselves, I have to be solely focused on one goal. And if you ever wanted to be solely focused on one goal, Jewish life is not for you because you're like, I got to work. And it's like, no, you don't. You start by praying. For how long? I remember sitting with someone and I was explaining to him, like, you know, I, he was trying to get my schedule, not Jewish guy. And I, and I explained to him, well, you know, I said, well, I, I, go, I pray every day. He's like, you, you, go to, you go to like synagogue every day? I said, I go every synagogue every day. Wow. He said, how long do you go for? I said, well, it depends on when. You go to multiple times a day? I said, yeah. So I, I broke the whole thing out with him. And he's like, how do you guys do anything? So it's a fascinating thing. So it's like, you got to pray for a long time. Got to work. Then, you know, there's a concept of get married and have children. So like, you know, that takes time also. And the kids take time. And so it's like, when do you ever in the Jewish world have this like time to experience unified greatness? So Rabbi Jacobson said back to me the following point. He said, life-changing. Life-changing. Again, how do I get to do cool stuff like this? It's called get your own podcast, right? And then you start interviewing people because people will come on your podcast. So, so, um, so Rabbi Jacobson said back to me, you know, what, what, was, what was Freud's kid doing? Uh, I'm like, I, did he have kids? I, I don't know. He said, okay. Uh, he said, he said what, what, about, what about Bach's kids? What about Bach's kids? And I said, no, I don't, I don't, I don't know. He said, right. So he says, if you think about all of these geniuses in the non-Jewish, again, not not knocking it, it's just different. But if you think about all these people that have developed these unbelievable skills, one thing that is very rare is that the kids follow in the footsteps of the parents. He said, but if you think about, you know, Abraham was pretty cool, right? And Isaac was pretty cool, and Jacob was pretty cool. But what's the one thing that unif that, that's unique about all this stuff is we know what all of the kids are have done. So it's a fascinating idea. So it's a, it's a different definition of success because in one world we live in, a person might think to themselves, I want to be great at this. And then when I die, it all goes with me. The Jewish concept is, on the flip side, that our greatness is how well did we transmit eternal values to the next generation. It's just a different focus, right? So again, you do you. You have a great life. You get great at whatever you want to get great at. But really important is the kids, getting the kids involved. Here, the little kids, get the little kids involved. So that's the idea why we right away switch. Again, it's just a crazy thing. You're thinking, you know, in, in, in the world is struggling so much for equality and all these kinds of stuff. And there's a there's a, a patriarchy and there's a, you know, order and all this kind of stuff. And it's fascinating because from a Jewish perspective, we just we, we just bring the kids in right away, right? And, and we bring the kids in and, and we explain why, again, What's the question? The question is just to involve the kids. It's that simple. And 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 we, we go through, there's four answers. Why is night different from all the nights? We eat chametz and matzah, tonight only matzah. Uh, we eat all the different vegetables, tonight maror, the, the bitter herb. For on all the nights, we dip the vegetables not once, but tonight twice. And for all the nights, we neither sit or recline. Tonight, we only recline. Great. There's all kinds of deep things. Not going into it now. You know why? Because we got to keep moving. Okay, excellent. And again, this is... This is the best. This is the best. I hope you're very excited about this. Again, I appreciate you bearing with me because it goes like this. 
So we start, again, this is not the core, really the whole Magid is four paragraphs. This is all the beginning. This hasn't even started yet, right? So we start off by famously, we bring the Seder plate back and we, we uncover the matzahs and we say, we were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, but Hashem, God, took us out with a strong hand and outstretched arm. And if the Holy One blessed me had not taken our fathers, this is this is this is like the billion dollar question here. So pay close attention. I'm only gonna I'm gonna roll for another 10 minutes if you are wondering when this thing ends, right? Uh, and then we'll come back obviously because we didn't really get to much. But we start with again fascinating. It says if if the Holy One blessed be he had not taken our fathers out of Egypt, then we our children and our children's children would still be subjugated to Pharaoh in Egypt. That's interesting. And then it says it gets even weirder. It says, and, and even if we were all chachamim, all wise people, all elders, we learned all the Torah, it would still be a mitzvah for us to talk about going out of Egypt. And all who talk about Itziah's Rhyme are to be praised. The more, the more, excuse me. And all who tell more about it are praised. So now, now I want to, again, we're still setting context. It's important how much background we do on these kinds of things because we want to see, actually, like, you know, we want to get the message. So the first step is, setting the parameter that we were slaves to Pharaoh in Mitzrayim. Again, I'm sure you've heard this before, but what are we talking about? So one of the fascinating things is Moses' name really isn't mentioned in the Haggadah, right? And you're like, how do you have Haggadah without Moses? Like he was like the main character. It's like, no, he wasn't because God's the main character. So God's there a lot, right? And the, the question is, there's a physical servitude and a spiritual servitude. And Moses, the man, the great prophet, the great leader, took us out of our physical servitude. But God took us out of our spiritual ser servitude. So the word Mitzrayim means, right, that there's like, it's like you're like squished, right? And and being slave to Pharaoh is that you're like locked in to your limitations. Again, I get really fired up because like this is like what I eat, breathe, and 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 and, and everything, right? So we live in a world where we are constrained, and then and then God takes us out of that. So it's a really fascinating idea because again, and this, I go crazy about this. It drives me crazy. But but we think like okay, so Passover, like freedom, and then we're like okay. Let's talk about freedom. And then inevitably, we don't talk about Jews anymore. We talk about everyone else that's been enslaved. And we say, well, there we go. I fulfilled the Passover because I talked about all of international slavery and, and, and how to get out of it. And the fascinating thing is you didn't do any Passover business because the international slavery, is that a problem? Yes, absolutely. Everyone's thinking like, oh, hey, it's a big Jewish idea that we talk about slavery. It's like, Everyone should talk about slavery being a terrible thing. And it's like big Jewish idea that we think slaves should be free. It's like everyone should think that slaves should be free. The, where you break down and get lost is this next verse. Because it says that what? If God didn't take us out, we would be enslaved forever. Now, you think about any other culture anywhere in the world that experienced slavery. The solution was never God was going to come in and take them out. The solution is regime change. The solution is the nations will come together and, and take them out. The solution is any other social construct, right? Or maybe education. Great. So like, think about how crazy we have. If I, if I would come to you now and I would say, there's a problem with slavery in a certain part of the country. I'd be like, it's all good. I learned about this on Passover. God's going to take them out with an outstretched arm. It's like, no, man, you got to do something better than that right? The only time in all of human history, which means, again, going back, unique Jewish concept is our slavery would have been forever. And the only way we can get out was, was through God. So like it totally flips the understanding of what it means to be free and enslaved on the head. So what that means is that ultimately we got the freedom 
to go after our own spiritual potential. That's what it is. And if God didn't give us that freedom, we could never have taken it for ourselves. Because it's not a physical freedom. It's a spiritual freedom. And that's why you can't have a physical solution to a spiritual problem. It's a deep idea that's a lot more than the context of this, of this class, but we'll, we'll keep going. So again, the slavery would have been forever, but God took us out of it. So now it's not forever. So now you also can't go back, as we talked about last week and yesterday, and we talked about, you know, living an intentional life. You can't go back and say, well, I'm a slave to my passion. Because like, no, you're not. Not anymore, right? Now you have the freedom to be who you want to be. God gave you that freedom. It's not going away. And he gave it to your kids also. All of you who are thinking I'll just like, like you know, convince my kids to do whatever I want. No, no. He gave them freedom too. Then it says the craziest thing, which is I think we'll, again, we'll end on this because it's like such a, it's such a fascinating concept. And then next week we'll jump into the actual story, the four paragraphs of going down into Egypt and coming out. The, um, the last piece, which is fascinating, which is the idea that all of us, even if we knew everything, would still have to do the Pesach Seder. Now you think to yourself, that's weird, right? Like what, um... Nothing new. Like, what am I, why am I talking about it, right? So the idea is, and this is, this is such a, this is so deep and this is so wonderful, right? That we, and this is so counterintuitive in the modern world, not to be, uh, not to be modern, but let's try it, right? That so much of what we do nowadays is amassing information and learning new stuff. A wonderful app called Masterclass. They're, um, they're not sponsoring me. But there's a wonderful app called Masterclass where you can literally learn from the world's best in anything how to do what they do. You want to learn how to play guitar like Carlos Santana? Fantastic. He'll teach you. You want to learn how to negotiate like Chris Voss, who's the uh, FBI you know, international ter terrorist negotiator? Great. He'll teach you. It's a great class. I recommend you listen to it and read the book, right? But, but we can learn everything uh, from from information out there, I got a, a beautiful compliment from a dear friend and mentor of mine. So I'm I'm I'm, I'm I just lost my concentration, but thank you for paying attention to the best. Um, so I should pay attention. The, so the the idea is that it's always easier to acclimate more information, and we're always looking to learn how to do that. But the fascinating thing is, come Seder night, you're like, I know. 10 plagues, known it since I was a little kid, God taking us out of Egypt, I know that, right? So there's this natural desire, which drives me nuts, that we're always trying to find new shotim, new ideas, new things that we can add into our Seder to, to keep us like always learning new stuff. And like, that's not the point of the Seder, man. The point of the Seder is that even if we know everything, we still have to do it. So it's not about amassing information. So then you ask yourself, well, why would I take a class if I already know all of the answers? Why would I learn something if I already know what it is? So now there is a fundamental ideological learning shift between this kind of learning and everything else. One is learning more information. The second thing is incorporation and mastery, right? Famously, Bruce Lee says, yeah, I don't fear the man that knows a thousand kicks. I know the man that's practiced one kick a thousand times. The more that you can drill this idea into you that you're free now about coming out of Egypt and the implications of that and the story of the slavery, even though you already know it, you, you can't even start if you don't know the story, right? Which goes back to our first point, which is try to read the Haggadah before Passover, right? If you walk with anything, just that, that one piece will, you know, take you the whole, the whole way. You just try to read it once through so you understand it a little bit, right? But, but the, the concept is... The, the, the experience of going through Passover, the experience of the Haggadah, 
is not just getting information, it's how do I drill it down into my life, which goes back and begins to address that question, which we started with, which is, what's the point of the Seder? Again, what are we trying to start with? What's our goal? And the goal is, I have to feel as if I came out of Egypt. And then you think to yourself, wow, I'm not sure how to do that. And the answer is like, good. So it's clearly not about learning more information. There's not a Haggadah, the coronavirus Haggadah that's going to come out, right? 2020 coronavirus Haggadah, get it, be, be up to date and talk about it and keep your social distancing and we're going to show you how that's the whole story thing. That's not the point. That's not the point at all. The point is, I have to think to myself, how do I integrate this idea of freedom into my life? What does it mean? How is my world different? Now that God took me out of Egypt, now that God took my fathers out of Egypt, now that God has freed my kids from Egypt, that I'm not held back anymore on a spiritual level, that I can accomplish whatever I want. What does that mean? And you think to yourself, whoa, crazy. I never, I don't know. I have to bring myself into the picture. I have to think about how do we integrate that into my mentality? Because it's not about just amassing more information because even the guys who know the most information, they still have to do it. And that's also the point, which is it says that the more you talk about it, Again, this is like pre-social media and you need to you know, create content for Fox News 24 hours, right? Or, I, don't, I don't watch that. I don't watch that. CNN News, whatever. Again, I don't want to politicize myself. But, um, but, um, but, but the concept is prior, prior to the cable news cycle, like why in the world would you have to talk about it more? Because the idea is the more that you relive it, the more that you work through it, the more that you think about it and discuss it, the more it becomes a part of yourself which is ultimately the big purpose. So again, just to recapitulate, recap, whatever, re recap over what we spoke about. Step number one is we're going to have a great service. We're going to have a great Seder night. You might be leading it for the first time. You might be doing it for yourself. You might be whatever it might be, socially distancing yourself from somebody. Step number one is, for those of you still watching, first of all, chill out. Let the people in your household chill out. Come to the table with a sense of regalness, calmness, Great. You make the table beautiful, right? Prepare before. And when you sit down, the goal is, I need to come out as if I went out of Egypt, which means that you kind of have to know how to present that. You have to have an approach to that. Then we spoke about going through the steps of the Seder and how we're setting ourselves up for what's going to come. Because this whole thing is built one on top of the other. And then we have the Kiddush. And we mentioned the idea that on Pesach night, Kiddush Urchatz, right, that there's a connection between washing and Kiddush, which is that Passover, you can jump levels. You don't have to go the conventional way. And then we go into the whole idea about the breaking of the matzah. We talked about the redemption, the greater redemption that's supposed to come. Again, people are looking at, you know, COVID-19, everyone's freaking out about it. It's like, you got to calm down. God's going to redeem us again. It's going to be so much better that, you know, people think, oh gosh, if only, if only I was back in Egypt and at least God would take us out of Egypt, right? The answer is like, it's going to be even better. We can have this eternal hope, right? This eternal optimism. Then we have the kids. We talked about the kids and the, and the four questions and engaging the family. We mentioned, you know, bringing candy, etc. And uh, frankly... We covered a lot, and next week, I hope, with God's help, and Asia Torah's help, and Facebook's help, and your help, and Zoom's help, um, we're going to keep going, because we can't rush any more than that. I appreciate from the bottom of my, of my heart your, your support, your success, the merit of you, uh, of you paying attention. May it, may it be a refuah shleva for all the people that are sick, and for all the people that are in financial troubles, uh, and uh, thank you. It's great. It's great.
There you have it, folks, another inspiring episode. If you enjoyed this, I ask you to please share this with your friends and to like us over on Rabbi Rupp through Facebook or on YouTube. And the more that we're able to get these important messages out, the more that we can really make an impact in the world. So I encourage you, please, to stay tuned. Uh, We have a ton of amazing speakers coming up. And also to tell your friends about it. Thank you very much.